The Chinese are said to have a saying, may you live in interesting times. For an instant or two, that sounds like a charming wish. But of course, when we realize what is actually being said, we may feel a bit more grim. In the past few months, I have felt that the times are, in fact, filled with events and opinions of great interest. But far too many of them are also very troubling. Many things that we once thought were settled are bubbling. Boundaries, geographical, cultural, national, are being disputed and violated. And even these bright blue summer days we're experiencing are a too vivid reminder of the drought we're suffering from. A problem that has been much in the news keeps cycling in my mind just beyond a constant consciousness. And that's the issue of children and older people, too, who are seeking help and asylum along our southern border. James Mathis, the Episcopal Bishop of San Diego, wrote a long piece about this issue a few weeks ago for an online site calling upon us to think of the situation in terms of our professed commitment as Christians. I want to read a bit of his essay to you. The bishop writes, We are a nation of immigrants. Many faith traditions extol the virtues of compassion and hospitality. Moses, Jesus, Muhammad were all aliens in strange lands. As a Christian leader, I am mindful of the biblical exhortation to welcome the stranger. A few weeks ago, we celebrated the 234th anniversary of our Declaration of Independence with the immortal proclamation that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This proclamation predates the notion of, the American, of American citizenship. While we must be mindful of security, we also must not lose our great goodness, heart, and national soul. When I read today's lectionary offerings and those stories and words made their way into that part of my head and heart that was, were troubled over the issues of immigration, I suddenly saw the Rio Grande as a vivid emblem, the great river. That almost sounds biblical, metaphorical. Fascinating that the boundary river into the promised land is the great river. Not the Hudson or the Allegheny or the Columbia or the Mississippi, but the great river. And then today, here is Jacob at the bank of another river. And before he can cross, he must fight, must wrestle with an otherworldly adversary. Is it an angel? Is it a devil? Is it the deity? Is it a being who stands for all the battles that must be waged before one can move into a place of safety? Jacob is crossing this river to meet with his twin brother from whom he has been estranged for years. He's afraid, afraid that his brother will bring an army against him. What he doesn't yet know is that his brother's going to welcome him with a greeting and an embrace. 
Time after time in the stories in scripture, we read of the almost ceremonial necessity of crossing a body of water to reach some goal that is a destined place of safety, reassurance, and God's peace. The Red Sea surely comes to mind. The River Jordan is a barrier and then the gateway to the land of Israel. Jesus begins his ministry with baptism in that same river. Jesus crosses the Sea of Galilee to reach places of ministry, and he walks upon the water to calm his disciples, and then Peter steps out upon the water in faith to cross to Jesus. So it's easy to understand why we may be nudged by our familiarity of great stories of faith when we hear of people in desperation trying to cross the Rio Grande to reach the safety of peace and shelter and food, and in hopes always of a brother waiting not with an army, but with an embrace. The author of the epistle to the Romans today, in today's lesson, says, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. I could wish that I myself were accursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my own people, my kindred, according to the flesh. And we hear in today's psalm, show me your marvelous loving kindness. O Savior of those who take refuge at your right hand from those who rise up against them. The best known, perhaps, of today's readings is from the Gospel of Matthew. It's a story of the feeding of the 5,000. And the compassion and responsibility that Jesus shows and expects his disciples to show is apparent. Feed them, Jesus tells his followers. They complain, but Jesus, in effect, welcomes the whole crowd, has them sit down, and then the food is distributed. These hungry people are around him seeking guidance, seeking comfort, seeking the practical needs of food and drink. In another gospel, Jesus admonishes Peter over and over to feed my sheep. And each time that command follows Peter's assurance that he loves Jesus. Okay, Jesus seems to say, if you love me, feed my sheep. Recently, our outreach program has been assisting a family. The father, as a teenager, crossed a section of the Rio Grande to enter the U.S. He traveled with an older brother who could swim, but our friend could not. He almost drowned. His brother saved him. He made it safely and now lives legally in this country with his U.S.-born wife and his children. I came because there was nothing for my brothers and me where we were born. We wanted to send something to our mother. We wanted to make a new life. I wonder how different they are from my ancestors who sailed on a flimsy ship from the Hebrides to Virginia. They too had nothing and wanted a better life. Most of us are here by the grace of God and because of the enterprise and hopes of the past generations, many or few, of our families. In Friday's newspaper, I read that there are 375,000 young people, many no more than children, waiting to have their status judged by a U.S. court to see if each may stay in the U.S. or be sent back to their home country. And 375,000 is only the number whose process of judgment has begun. 
we could live in even more interesting times. Perhaps if we offered not a trial, but something more in keeping with the teachings we profess. I'm just as guilty as you are. How can we live during these days as Christians? There are people of many faiths in the U.S. Almost all of these hold precepts that teach we must welcome and assist the stranger. It is unlikely that we can personally and individually do very much about this immigration crisis. But I hope that you will pray about it and be someone who discusses and, when possible, acts to help change the fear and selfishness of some of our neighbors and politicians. It is more comfortable to think of this as a political issue. But I cannot in good conscience believe that it is anything less than a moral and ethical and religious one. I pray that our faith will help us see that in each refugee face is the face of our brother and sister and that we can be filled with enough of God's grace to say, not go home, but bienvenidos.